1: If you've been with us uh, for the past several weeks, we, we started a brand new series entitled Rethinking the Church. And really, uh, I wanted to really be intentional about starting the year off about that because this is a time when many people make New Year's resolutions and decide this is the time I want to start all over. I want to press the reset button. I want to find the church that I love. I want to I be connected. I want to get my life right with Christ. I want to I just be, you know, be in tune and be in good relationship with Jesus. Uh, and, and, and But I want us in these, in these moments to kind of rethink what church is. Oftentimes, uh, we, don't, we don't call it that, but many of us uh, treat church like it's a country club. It's, it's, or, or, or other times, many of us, and I'm not talking about anybody in this room, I'm, I'm just saying many of us sometimes treat church like it's a calendar event. It's, that's what I do on Sunday. After Sunday, I get to do whatever else, but on Sunday, we go to church. And I want us to rethink what, 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 what God's purpose is. And God's intentions were from for church from the very beginning. If you were with us week one, we kind of, I threw some Greek at you. And I love to, you got to be careful. If you are a first time guest with us, I will throw Greek and Hebrew at you all day because I want to equip you. I want you to understand the text in its original context when it was created and uh, put into this canon called the book here, uh, the Bible. And so we used the word last week to describe what, what it's all about. It's about koinonia koinonia. Now, now that's not a word we use every day. It's a Greek word that, that simply means uh, uh, fellowship. It, it, it means social intercourse. And, and for all my adult folks we understand that intercourse is the only time where two bodies become one. But, but when we say social, we're talking about all of these wonderful bodies becoming a part of one body, which is the body of Christ. So we kind of define what that means. Uh, being in koinonia it means me taking care, taking on your burdens and your burdens becoming my burdens. And, and when you have a baby, no, y'all didn't have a baby. We had a baby. Uh, if you lost a job, no, you didn't lose a job. We lost a job. That's what coin only is about. And I used an example of a, a, a individual rubber bands, what they look like and, and how they have no power. They can't do anything. And thank you, Joe, for letting me use you as an example. And he let me throw rubber bands at him. And then I grabbed a ball of rubber bands and he didn't even flinch. Because he knew I wouldn't throw it, but that ball of rubber bands has more power connected together in that one tight unit than Those individual rubber bands and and I kind of illustrated what koinonia is and that's what koinonia is that's what the church was built upon matter of fact the very first time we find the word koinonia in the New Testament is the very same scripture that we find the birth of the church so that was meant intentionally to be where the church was born that's what koinonia is supposed to look like and then last week we moved on and talked about working together okay now that we're in community together now we're in fellowship together now we're in oneness and social intercourse together week two we kind of talked about working together why for the for the cause of the gospel Uh, living lives in a manner watch this worthy of the gospel lives that lead with love and compassion and hunger for righteousness so now that we're in a community we have to look like we are part of a community and our lifestyle has to look like it was worth jesus dying for us that's what we talked about last week and today I got a simple question for you, a simple question for you. It's a question that we find uh, uh, one of the first sons that we've ever heard of, one of Adam's sons, uh, asked early on in the Old Testament. He says to God, he says, am I my brother's keeper? And today, I extend that question to you. Am I my brother's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper? If you know this scripture, we find it in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Genesis, uh, and if you can't find that, then just, just raise your hand. Somebody will look at you funny first, but they'll help you. Hallelujah. We like to joke in this place. Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And the thing is, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, you can use your mobile app. We do use mobile phones here. We allow people to tweet and all of that stuff and FaceTime. It don't matter. Just do it, Whatever. But you go to Genesis 4, verses 8 and 9, and watch this. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know. I mean, what you asking me for, Cain said. Am I my brother's keeper? am I my brother's guardian? Why why are you asking me? And God is looking at the church today and he's saying, my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter in church today sitting next to empty seats. Where is your brother or your sister? And I dare one of you to say to God, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Because at the end of the day, being a part of the fellowship, being a part of koinonia, being responsible for for maintaining and sharing and, and fighting for the gospel. It is our responsibility, my brothers and sisters, to care about our brothers and sisters and say, hey, why aren't you in the church today? We are supposed to be our brothers and our sisters keepers. It was such a wonderful display of unity on yesterday, was it not? To see so many gathered together all across this nation and every big city and small city and all across America coming together, women strong with loud and, and, and strong and unified voices saying we are standing up. It was such a wonderful display and I was like hallelujah, but what would it take for Christians to come together in such a way to march for the same injustices that are coming against the church? What would it take to see a bunch of believers to stand up on the Washington Mall and say, we will not stand for you telling us where we can and cannot pray? I feel revolutionary this morning. What would it take for us to come together as the real body of Christ, unified with one voice, one calling, saying there is a God who sits on high, who's waiting for all of humanity to be reconciled back into right relationship? What would it take for us to come together and say, it's not about legislation, it's not about laws, you got the wrong L, it's about love? (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm going too fast. I'm feeling good this morning What would it take for us as Christians to have such a marvelous display of unity? What would it take for us to be that it begins with what we started with with week one the word koinonia? Then it begins with what we started with in week two coming together for the defense of the gospel and then it also begins today with us being each other's keeper in other words the way that the sisters got together in such a beautiful manner united with one voice we will not stand for this we will not stand for that the way they all got to oh it was so beautiful you know why they did that because they said i will not stand for you disrespecting or hurting another sister i will not stand for you uh, uh, not giving us the equal rights that we deserve as sisters you're not going to treat my sister that way Oh, but what would it be like if I said, I will not stand for you persecuting my brother or sister because they decided to pray today. I will not stand for you persecuting my brother or sister because they decided to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord all by himself. He is the King of King, the Lord of Lords. He was died, crucified, raised, rose again, and we're still waiting his return. I would dare us to do that. I'm not talking about walking around with your t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Or what would Jesus do? Bracelets or having a fish on the back of your car. I'm talking about being the exact same image that we saw yesterday with sisters What would it take my brothers and sisters? I wonder I ponder this I I thought about it and I sat there with tears in my eyes and Looking at all of these sisters coming together in New York and Los Angeles and Atlanta and New Orleans and all over the world And I'm saying this is so beautiful and posting it and I'm saying wow What if the body of Christ did that? What would the world look like? Not our country, but what would the world look like if we did that? When, when our brothers and sisters over the, across the pond and, and over countries and other countries looking at us saying, my God, look how divided we are as a people all because of a man. Let me fix that. All because of the wrong man. All because of a man who will serve only four years and he will be gone. And if he gets lucky enough to serve four more, eight, that's the max. Bye-bye. And we're divided because of that. How dare us treat God that way as a people? May I I be transparent with you for a moment? I don't want to offend anybody. But yesterday, you know, know, uh, as a pastor, I still moonlight as a musician when when God lets me or my wife lets me. And so on last night, I had the opportunity to play once again at a a little tapas restaurant called uh, Local Luna. And upon the break, uh, we took a break and we're out in the parking lot and me and the Christian brother uh, whose skin is just a little bit lighter than mine. You understand what I'm trying to say? We had some debate about uh, this political atmosphere that's going on. Uh, It got so loud. If you you, you know reason, people don't sit typically in the front row, because when I preach and I get, you know, passionate, you know, my moisture comes out of my mouth. And that's why people don't sit in the front. And so what happened was me and this brother, we we got to having this dialogue. We started having this debate and he was disagreeing and I was disagreeing and my moisture hit his face and his moisture hit my face. We were in each other's face disagreeing about stuff that didn't even matter. And at the end of the day, I looked around and said, look at all these people looking at us such hypocrites. I'm a pastor. You're a Christian. And here we are in the middle of a parking lot arguing, spitting in each other's face, not intentionally, just because we were heated. What example are we setting to this world what example are we setting in this community in this country Christians fighting and the thing is it's happening all on the social media every day and I my brother's keeper last night I was not until in the end I realized that we were hypocrites and I says man we can't do this we can't do this I don't agree with you politically you don't agree with me politically I think there are some undertones where we got to talk about race at some point. But listen, come here. Come. Let's hug. I mean, let's hug for real. Let's do like a straight front hug. I know that's gross. That's kind of suspect. But let's do it like a real embrace. <laughs> I'm so tired of this, Mike. I really am. But let's do a real embrace to show the world that we can fight and kiss and make up. Now, we didn't kiss. Don't judge me. We didn't. I, we draw. That line is drawn. We didn't do that. So, so here's the thing. The local church is the hope of the world, and people should find hope during dark times, help during difficult times, love during lonely times, direction during lost times. Whenever life happens to be a little bit hard to bear, the church should be where you find the help, because life is an everyday occurrence. Every day we live, every day we get up, we have a challenge to face, if I asked in this world whose life is perfect, I asked in this room, who who has a perfect life? And I say, raise your hands, the person that raised their hand, I would say, really? I wouldn't call him a liar. I'm just not that, you know, I would say you're fibbing. When I grew up, we couldn't use the word lie. You could say fib or telling a story. Y'all remember that? How many of y'all grew up in Big Mama House like that? are you telling a story. Because if anybody raised their hand and said, I have a perfect life, I would say you are telling a story. Because there's no such thing as perfection on this side of heaven. The only place that we find perfection is in the place called glory, which we're all trying to get that sweet reward to. Nobody's perfect. So every day we get up, we are faced with challenges. We're faced with struggles. We're faced with with, with, with decisions we have to make that would honor God with our lives. And because of that, the only place we can find such hope is not in self-help books, not in, not in, in watching Dr. Phil or, or, or any of these TV people right now. The only place we, place we find true hope is in the local church. And I know some of y'all are looking like, well, I don't know. Too much scandal is going on in the church. Yes. The church is messy. Absolutely. You know why the church is messy? Because we're in it we're messy people and 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 we don't suddenly walk through a door and all of our mess is suddenly we walk through the doors like hallelujah the mess fell off no it don't work that way the mess don't fall off when you walk through the doors of a church the mess falls off when you fall on your face to christ are y'all with me this morning The mess don't just fall off because you walk into a building and you listen to a man or a woman preach the message. The mess don't just fall off because you sing songs or sing your favorite jam or whatever the case may be. The mess falls off when you take the word and the worship and make it applicable to your life. Ah! The mess don't just fall off. The mess falls off. When you are in the fellowship and the company and walking and doing life with other believers, people that believe in the same God you believe in, people that have the same hope and dreams that you have for this community and your nation and your family, those type of people, people that you are in koinonia with. Life change happens best, my brothers and sisters, among friends. And if I may, and this is not a shameless plug, I just want to tell you one of the ways we do it here at Mosaic Church. Y'all going to get it after a while. We're not going to give up on it. We do it best in our small groups. I know that's not, you know, depending on where you're, where you come from in the church, it's not normal. That's not, that's not what the black church does. I've heard all these things. I say, the original church did that. The church that was born in the book of Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, that's what they were doing, small group meetings. I know they started with 3,000, but the 3,000 broke up and they went to other areas and they planted more churches. And there were a whole bunch of small groups of people coming together, selling their goods, making sure everybody had something. They didn't have anything. They didn't lack anything. They were doing family and uh, uh, community together. And at Mosaic Church, we do small groups. We offer small groups. It's a safe place where you can come and be with other friends and make friends and learn uh, uh, the word and, 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 and have people that you can just pour out to. People that have been through some of your same struggles. I remember the first time we had a marriage couple, small group, and, you know, everybody's trying to get to know one another. It was quiet until somebody spoke up and started telling their business, and everybody's like, man, me too. I thought that was just my wife. Girl, I thought that was just my husband. I was getting ready to turn to in. Just joking, but honestly, you were in this setting and you were, you were able to see like you weren't the only one having some challenges. You weren't the only one that had some questions. You weren't the only one that, 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 that had some doubts and some fears. And when you are in a small group setting, it's more comfortable for you to share those things. By the way, this is the plug. February, we'll be launching our small groups again. I love, I love the way uh, Ed Stetzer and Tom Rayner put this in their book called Transformational Church. May I read this quote? It says, the journey with Jesus cannot be lived in anonymity. Uh, in the end, transformation happens in the context. Hear this. This is good. Transformation happens in the context of our relationship with God. And he does not need the church or other Christians to be involved, but he has chosen for us to be involved. That's interesting. God don't need us to be involved. He's chosen. In other words, that's a privilege for us. He's chosen for us to be involved. God chose us to use vocabulary such as the body, the household and family to describe the church. He he wants us to be in a relationship one with another. The work we see the church did in its earliest days informs our present. The church works in community with one another just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work in relationship to one another. Everything we know about God is not in anonymity. It's in relationship. It's being with other believers. It's being with other. Do y'all know that when He sent His Son Jesus, He could have done all the stuff He needed. He could have performed miracles all by Himself. He could have. He could have. He could have cured people of leprosy all by Himself. He could have shared the gospel all by himself. He could have done all of this, but he didn't say, let me find one guy. Let me find two guys. Let me find three guys. How about four or five guys? He said, let me find 12 cats to hang out with me. And better yet, I don't even want cats that know the word that well. Give me some people that are regular folk. Give me some people that are worse than sinners. Give me some people that's just going to hang out with me and have my back. Give me some people with some anger management problem that will cut your ear off if you touch me. Give me some of those people. And he picked 12 people to be in relationship for the course of three years to show them what ministry relationship is all about. And then he didn't stop there. After he died, went on to glory, came back, talked to his people. He went back and he came upon this dude who was persecuting the church. This guy was on his way to Damascus to tear down more Christians. He said, hold on, partner, let me talk to you for a minute. And that guy's name was Saul and he changed the heart of Saul and did so much that his name was changed to Paul. And then Paul came and built the church through the power of Jesus Christ. Everything about Jesus, everything about God has to do with relationship. Nothing about our faith has to do with anonymity. Singleness being by yourself. It's all about relationship fellowship. God sees relationship two ways Y'all know this if you're from Mosaic Church He sees the relationship here and there between you and him and the relationship between Him you and his people between you and him and and his people you and his people Two ways he sees it the biggest challenge with the church The biggest challenge with the church one of the biggest challenges we face as the church comes from our membership today See, attendance, it's a, it's a, the membership today in the local church looks like this. Nothing like the book of Acts. It's attendance minus participation. I knew it would be quiet. I'm not talking about y'all. Y'all can say amen. amen. <laughs> the biggest challenge, the biggest issue, the biggest challenge that we face as the local church today is attendance minus Participation. We got a lot of people that come to church. Why? Because it's my calendar thing. Oh, Sunday is church. Sunday is church. That's what we got to do on Sunday. We got to do church. Oh, it's raining. Well, we'll we'll catch it next Sunday. I'm not talking about y'all. Stop it. Don't be mad at me. I'm talking about somebody else. You may know. Anyway, let's move on. Too many families come to service on Sunday and then shuffle out without embedding themselves into the life changing community of the local church. I want to talk to you all about this word called accountability today because that's what the question is addressing. Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, am I accountable to my brother or my sister? Am, am I accountable to them? And then and, and the thing is, many of us don't like this word accountability. It has so many negative connotations attached to it. Uh, when you think accountability, it's like, uh, who I am? You ain't telling all my business to nobody. Uh, accountability, uh, it ain't none of your business what I'm going through. Get on, go on. What's wrong with you? None, none, of, your what? none of your business. Stay on out of my. Stay out of your, stay in your lane. But let me tell you why we avoid accountability. Of accountability in the church. Can I can I share that with y'all? Can I tell you four reasons that I believe that we avoid accountability in local church? The very first one is one we hate conflict. If you're taking notes the very first note, you know why we avoid accountability? We hate conflict. We hate it Anybody here like conflict you need to be an MMA fighter I hate conflict. I'm the leader. I Avoid it like the plague I don't want it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to, I, and the thing is, why don't we want to deal with conflict? Well, I don't either, one or two things, I don't feel like arguing with you. Or the second thing, I'm going to point out your faults and then you're going to point out mine. And I don't want you to point out mine because, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, the other one reason why we uh, 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 avoid conflict and we hate conflict, you know why? It's because we don't know how to handle it well. Conflict is not a bad thing. Conflict in itself means coming together in a a way that we can argue and affirm each other. That's conflict. It's not battle all the time. It's not not a war. It's not me tearing you down. That's not conflict. Conflict is disagreeing to come to a point where we kind of agree. We, we We hate that. This is why we avoid accountability. We hate conflict. We hate it. The second thing, we don't feel adequately qualified. Let's be honest. We don't feel adequately qualified. I don't feel that I can kind of help you through some stuff because guess what? I'm still going through some stuff. How many of y'all been in that space? It's hard to pray for somebody when you need prayer. Come on, man. It's hard sometimes. I'm the pastor, and I struggle with that. You know, I'm, I'm going tomorrow for a three day Sabbath. Just me, my Bible, and my journal, and God in the Georgia mountains. And, and, and it's because I, I need I need rest. I've been doing this thing for five and a half years straight now, uh, setting up service and tearing down service, uh, 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 cleaning church and, and, and all of these things. And I'm worn out. But people still need prayer. People still need the touch of their pastor. People still need to be uh, 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 affirmed in their faith. And so I have to look beyond what I can't handle. I have to look beyond my tired and weariness and say, let me pray for you. And do you know what happens when I pray for people? Suddenly I feel better about life. Not because their struggles are worse than mine. Not because, oh man, you you, you, you got some stuff going on too. No, it's because I put myself aside, became selfless and not selfish. And prayed many of us we don't we we don't feel adequately qualified you don't have there's no qualification to be accountable to another brother or sister there's no qualification there's no listen a uh, letter there's a prerequisite for you can before you can speak to them about this thing here's your prerequisite uh, uh, no it's not the only prerequisite that you need to be accountable one to another is love I love you so much that I don't care how you feel about what I'm gonna say to you in the end. I love you so much. Your life matters to me so much. What I'm gonna tell you needs to bless you. Now, now, now can I fix that for a minute? Cause some of y'all ain't, some of y'all kind of messy with this one. Remember, the prerequisite is love. I'm doing this because I love you. How many of y'all been kids before and used to get that spanking? And 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 what they what they say? I'm doing this because what? Say that again. I'm doing this why? I don't want that kind of love. Hurt too much. If you love me that much, stop it. Hate me. I wonder what your hate of me feel like. But there's some power in that truth. I'm disciplining you because I love you. I'm disciplining you because I don't want you to get hurt. I'm disciplining you. I know this hurts, but what will happen if I don't do this will kill you. I'm doing this because I love you. The only prerequisite for accountability is love. Biblical growth and character development are group projects. You can't grow by yourself, it requires the accountability of others. We grow through gospel centered conversations with each other. look at the examples we find in Hebrews 10 24 through 25 or Galatians 6 1 through 2 and Romans 15 and 4 I don't have time to read those right now I want you to read those on your own and if you missed it listen to the podcast It'll be up probably today. I promise you. Here's the third reason we avoid accountability ready It's too private and personal Can I be honest and say that is the truth? But that don't mean you can't be accountable one to another that don't mean you can't share. Listen, I hate to carry burdens on my own. When I'm going through some stuff, I know how to pick up the phone. Yo, I had a, a, an issue the other day, uh, uh, you know, where I didn't agree with some things. I was at a, at a place, uh, at a conference, if you will, and I just didn't feel right in my spirit, and I just didn't know how to handle it. And so I called somebody who I felt could, could guide me through that accountability. So I called my brother Mark and was like, brother, did I miss this? But this is how I'm feeling right now. And Mark spoke to my life, says, eh, let, me, let, me, let me go back and see, let me listen and see, and, and we'll see if you write about it. And he listened, and, and, and in, that, in that struggle, that struggle in my faith, because I was doubting my faith in this moment, for the record, because of where I was at and what was being said, I'm like, did I miss it? Am I not holy enough? So I had to call somebody who, who knows my heart and said, brother, did I miss it? That's accountability. It's not judgment. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not judgment. James 5.16 uh, is not suggesting, uh, but it's not a suggestion, but a command. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins one to another and pray, huh? and pray for each other that you may be healed. Can, do y'all know what the word sin means? Can I, can I tell you what the word sin means? Because some of us think we're not sinners, and I'm going to tell you, you are a sinner. The word sin itself. I'm so tired of this. mic. it's gone this week. Bye-bye. The word sin in its original context means to fall short of. The word sin means to fall short of, watch this, or miss the mark. That's what sin is. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what, it, it's not lying. Yeah, you missed the mark if you lie. You, fall, you fell short of the glory of God by not being truthful. It's it's not having uh, 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 being promiscuous. No 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 no. It is that's sin. But but that means you just fell short of being pure for God. It's 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 not some of the stuff I struggle with. No no no. That's that's all sin. But but understand what it means is that you just fell short. You missed the mark. You were aiming, but you just missed. And so when we miss the mark. We've got to have the ability, the confidence and the, and the courage to go to our brothers and sisters and say, hey, listen, I, I, I missed the mark. Can you pray for me today? Can you pray with me today? Because the Bible says, uh, confess your sins one to another, ask God for forgiveness and you will be redeemed. And then let's pray together. It don't mean you get to come in there and judge me. It don't mean you get to if I say, hey, man, Joe, I messed up, man. I messed up. I was, I, man, my eyes were, they didn't wander. They just stayed focused on one, one part of the person And, got, man, I'm struggling, Joe. That don't mean Joe gets to say, man, it's pastor. <laughs> man, bro. I'm going to pray for you, but I don't think I'm coming back next week. It means you pray for me. Let me seek God for forgiveness and be redeemed. And then now you hold me accountable. Now you call me every day, hey man, what you doing today? What what you looking at? What are you watching? Who are you with? Where are you hanging at? Who's watching you watch what you're watching? It's accountability. <laughs> Y'all caught that? Thank you, Ronald. <laughs> the fourth thing I want to share with you. The fourth thing. We falsely believe that it's only for behavior modification. We falsely believe that accountability is only for behavior modification. It's only for we, we believe that, that 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 it's only for the big sins, the taboo sins. Uh, so there there's no need to discuss the little white lie or the temptation of the flesh. Accountability is for if I actually did cheat on my wife, not if me thinking about it. Uh, accountability is for me, me, me actually stealing money, not me being tempted to steal money. And that's a fallacy. Accountability is not for behavior modification It's to help me before I get to the point where I need behavior modification It's to help me when I'm struggling. It's to help me when I watch this accountability is also being available during the good times Accountability is not for the bad moments. It's not for the for the issues. It's for the celebration Can you imagine winning a, a Nobel Peace Prize and only people out there is your neighbor None of your church family there, none of your family there, none of your friends who are those who called you friends are there. You won one of the most prestigious prizes in the land and nobody's there for you. You just graduated college. How many of you know it is hard to graduate college? It's expensive and it's hard. Any day, every day you wake up, you want to quit. It's hard to sit down and study for an exam. That's accountability saying brother we gonna graduate y'all catch what I just said I may not even be in school with you but we gonna graduate we (laughs) We gonna walk across that state you may wear the robe and the hat and the cap and the gown or whatever but brother we graduate I saw a video one time of a father whose son graduated high school. Y'all probably saw this on social media. This is just high school. His son graduated high school. The brother flipped over the edge of the ledge, got down on the floor, did his little dance, then climbed back up to the bleachers afterward. And I said, whoa, this kid must have graduated from Yale or Harvard with, 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 a, you know, with a doctorate or something. He, he graduated magna cum laude. But, but I looked at it's like, high school graduation. I said, well, hey, it must have been hard for him to make it through it. Some of y'all got kids where you going to flip over the banister too when they graduate cuz it was hard you were surprised they made it. It ain't just me. Come on somebody. <laughs> Glory. Hebrews 3:13 and I'm going to wrap it up. I got I got to get somewhere. Hebrews 3:13 guides us in another perspective of accountability where we address the heart. Not just the outward behavior, but we address the heart. And that is the essence of what accountability is. Let me share with you an illustration of what accountability should look like to us here on earth. Can I share with you a biblical illustration of what accountability should look like for us here on earth? You find it in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Watch this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another is overcome... well, sorry about that. No, no, no. Scratch that. We're going to go to Luke 5, 26. Luke 5, 17, 26. And you know what? I'm not going to read it from the Bible. I'm want you i just going to paraphrase it. Here's what's happening because I got, I'm short on time here. Here's what's happening in Luke 5, 17, 26. There's word that Jesus is in town. And people are already aware of his healing power. They're aware of the work that he does. They're aware of the stuff that he does with people. And, and so, so he's in town. And, and there are these guys that's been hanging out with this one Cripple guy, this guy who's been crippled for years, been been just, you know he hasn't walked, he's just been lame for years, and but he's been always on this mat, and and these brothers see their brother on this mat, and they hear about Jesus who can fix the problem because they heard a story that yo know, he healed a lame person down at, at, at the sea at the pool of Bethesda, and and he's done some things, and and you know what Jesus has even healed people with leprosy, so you know what we love our friends so much, we care so much about them. Let's take him to meet with Jesus, and maybe Jesus. Jesus can heal him. So they get to the house where Jesus was in there. He was preaching. He was going deep. He was dropping it. He was like in his third point and all of a sudden they show up and there's no room for them to come in. There's no room for them to get into the house. And they're like, no, I'm so desperate for my brother to be healed. I'm so desperate. Let me climb up on the rooftop and tear some strangers, get this, some strangers rooftop open and then get my brother in there at the center of Jesus so he can be healed. And accountability for you and I are the likes are the same thing where it says my brother and sister I haven't seen you in church in a while I know you've been depressed I know you've been going through some stuff let me get you to church oh you don't got to ride I will come and pick you up you ain't got nothing to wear let me buy you some clothes they got to sell at JCPenney this week come on let me grab you let me call the phone, call you on the phone and say what you are doing it's in the middle of the night and I know in the middle of the night you have bad dreams let me help you accountability is being that desperate for our brothers and sisters that we will do radical things even if it cost us our reputation that is accountability and that's the model that these guys set watch this there are three elements three essential elements to accountability and it begins with trust and there are three essential elements of trust see accountability has everything to do with trust but there are three essential elements of trust. So, if you're going to be accountable for your brothers and sisters, understand this. According to James 1.19. understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must be, you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. So, so the first thing we must understand is uh, the first essential element of trust is active listening. What is active listening? It's not listening and start to give advice. And too many of us start, we hey man, I'm I'm going through some stuff. And the first thing we do is, you know what, when I went through something like this, this is what happened. And then this scripture, and you've not listened to what they said. All they wanted was a listening ear, an active ear, listening attentively. They don't want your advice. They want to know you doggone care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Huh? that's accountability and active listening listen don't open your mouth when they give you permission then speak second thing the second essential of trust is a welcoming non-judgmental attitude matthew 7 1 through 2 says this it says do not judge others and watch this this is why and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others, the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. In other words, you come, somebody comes with your mess. Hey, listen, uh, I, I I don't I haven't told anybody this yet, but I'm gonna tell you uh, because I trust you. Uh, I'm struggling, and I, and I don't know what this is, uh, but but uh uh, I think I'm attracted to the same sex. Don't you dare go, my God. Why are you telling me? You like me or No. <laughs> That's your opportunity to say, whoa, what's, wh- what's going on? Now you activate your listening and hear them. Because here's the reality. We got people in our family that have not said that yet, but they are struggling. They are struggling, been struggling. And there will be people that will come to you and say this. Your job is to activate your listening, not your mouth. And... I'm going to throw this mic in a minute, Mark. (laughs) I'm going to get that mic. Thank you so much for the research. Mark has been begging me to throw this thing. And I've been like, no, it's holding on. It's the little mic that could. (laughs) Had this thing for like six years or more. But hear me. This is an opportunity not to judge. I had a conversation, one of the main conversations I have with my children, Broderick, Brooke, and Ja'Kai, because they all know. I always tell them, what's the, what's the greatest form of communication? Body language. So you may, you may in that moment somebody tells you something deep that may shock you. You may in that moment uh, uh, in your mind be like, oh, I'm not going to judge them. But your whole body expression judge them. Oh, man, I'm, I'm struggling with my sexuality. Oh, really? You just said uh, it's an issue. You just said that, that you're judging them. It's hard to do, but you've got to practice it when somebody says we need to talk Typically when they say we need to talk it's deep How many how many husbands in here know that when your wife says we need to talk you get nervous? My first thought is i'm going through the week. What did I do? What what didn't I do? So then you call back or you text back like like is it like a talk talk or like you just need to have a quiet conversation Like is it a long talk? How long you think it's gonna be? Then you start looking, well, for 15 minutes, I ain't do nothing bad. But you're like, well, we need to sit down and talk. Oh, man, I done messed up. I'm about to get put out. <laughs> Where my husband's at? Y'all know what I'm talking about this morning. Non-judgmental attitude. Here's my final point. Worship team, y'all may come on up here. The third essential of trust is a compassionate and empathetic disposition. It means we've got to approach this. This 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 accountability with a compassionate and empathetic disposition First John 4 21 says this and he has given us this command It's a command. It's not an option. It's something we have to do. It's we're commanded to do it hear this Those who love God must also love their fellow believers a compassionate and empathetic disposition and my brothers and sisters, that's where I found myself on yesterday in the parking lot of local Luna arguing about something that does not even honor God, something that does not even give glory to God. I found myself arguing with this brother, not even pausing to say, man, let me understand you. It was his words against my word. It was the word against word. It was the war of words and spit. And in the end, love won. It was looking at him from an empathetic position. It was looking at him and saying, you know what? You just don't understand. And for you to understand it would take us not being in the parking lot of local Luna. For me to understand him, it would take for us not to be in the parking lot of local Luna, but sitting down after this fast and having a cup of coffee and writing down our thoughts and pressing into the point of being uncomfortable and saying, you know what? We may not agree here. We may not agree here, but in the middle Where God lives, we agree. And that, my brothers and sisters, is accountability. You don't have to agree with the person. You don't have to agree with their struggles. You do have to love them. You do have to embrace them. You do have to pray for them. It is a command from God, not Broderick Maurice Santiago, but from God himself. I thank you. Our worship team will come.